Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm, the book of Psalms, chapter 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were saved. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not human, scorned by others, and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver, let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. This is the word of the Lord. This is the second reading of God's word, and the reading that I'll be mostly preaching from, Ruth chapter 3. In the Old Testament, Ruth follows the book of Judges, verses 1 through 18. This is a rather lengthy reading. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered him, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, You have made this last kindness 
greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we rejoice that we can come together on the Lord's day and worship you with this beautiful music and these wonderful people. And Father, we praise you and thank you. And we ask you to give us attention to your word, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Uh, This is more than history. This is for the rejuvenation of our lives. And we ask you to be with us right now as we study your word and hear from you at this hour. We commit this to you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It is good to be with you again this morning. I know you're surprised to see me standing here in this pulpit this morning. Uh, I was, uh, when I was trained at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of my professors reminded us always that uh, you need to be prepared to preach pray or die at a moment's notice. And so uh, I've taken that to heart. Uh, Just a month ago, I got another call. Debbie called me yesterday and it worked out that I could be here this morning. And I'm delighted to be here. I know many of you, I feel at home here in this church and it's uh, an honor to be here. And uh, I'm sorry Danny is in his condition, but I believe he is recovering well. And uh, a month ago, uh, I received another phone call on a Saturday morning, which I had a plan for a nice uh, casual weekend. Uh, I had a funeral scheduled for later uh, in the day, but uh, they asked me, they said, uh, we have a wedding scheduled and the, the minister has come down with COVID. Uh, can you do the wedding later on this afternoon? And uh, we got a bride in tears. And uh, I said, I'd be glad to. And so I called the bride and said, we're going to make you have a great day. This is going to be a fantastic day. And we got the wedding done. So um, I'm getting used to these impromptu calls. I guess this is life in so-called retirement uh, that I'm available uh, at these opportunities. So it's a a privilege and an honor to do that and glad to do that. And I'm glad to be here with y'all this morning. Uh, This passage in Ruth, this is one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Uh, And if you'll notice, Ruth follows 
the book of Judges, just to get you up on the history and what's going on regarding this passage. Uh, the book of Judges is one of the dark times in the Old Testament. Uh, the people have settled into the land and they have slidden in their faith. Uh, many have left the faith. Uh, the, the phrase that you hear in the book of Judges is the last verse in the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, which immediately precedes Ruth. It says, and this is the motto of the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is where Ruth comes into play here. God sticks this little four-chapter book. Uh, I've heard it described as a shimmering, uh, beautiful, brilliant diamond on a black backdrop because the book of Judges was a dark time. Israel was in a dark state. Uh, people had quit following the Lord and following his word and not honoring the Lord, not honoring his word, and they began doing everything what was right in their own eyes. Have you had situations where you were in a situation where uh, maybe it was your family, uh, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes? I love tennis. Margaret and I have played tennis, uh, mixed doubles together before. And in tennis has its rules. And I, I've not played a match where I thought everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It would be chaos on the tennis court if a ball landed outside, landed on the line, but they called it out. Sometimes that happens. I hope it's just by an honest mistake, but sometimes people want to win and they want to do what's right in their eyes and not according to the rules. And so uh, that's the situation you have. So it was chaos in the land. God was judging the land and things were not well. In the book of Ruth, uh, in chapters one and two, cover an 18 year span. Ruth has married, she's from Israel, but things are bad. There's a famine in the land. Again, things are not good. Uh, there's no food. So she moves with her husband, takes her and their family over to Moab across the Jordan River, which is now current day. We know it as the nation of Jordan. Uh, and so it looks out. You can stand in Jerusalem and you can look out. You can't see the Jordan River because it's just so far down in the valley, but you can see Jordan from the Temple Mount in Israel on a beautiful day, and most days are beautiful in Israel. So it's, uh, it's not terribly far as we think of far. Uh, they were walking at that time, so it might take them two days to get to Moab, uh, to go down to the Jordan and then go up towards Moab and where current day Amman, Jordan is. Uh, so they, they were there, and then after a while, things had gone bad there. Uh, uh, Naomi, the wife, has lost her husband, and she's lost her, her two sons that have married Moabite women, Oprah, Orpah, and Ruth. Not Oprah, but Orpah and Ruth. And so uh, she hears that things have gotten better in Jerusalem, and she wants to go back to Israel because things are better. And they, and they have they're just three women all by themselves. And so she decides to go back. She tells the Moabite women, her daughters-in-law, to stay there. Orpah does stay, but Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. I'm committed to you. I married into this family, and I'm committed to you and your God. 
It's a great verse over in chapter uh, one that we sometimes use in the wedding ceremonies about her commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so they go over, they're penniless, they're poor, and they end up going to Bethlehem, uh, which is uh, early stages of Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew, Bethlehem means city of bread. So it's the wheat harvest time going on there in Bethlehem. And it's a great harvest. Things are going well there in that part of Israel. Uh, Bethlehem sits up on the ridge uh, that goes through the middle of Israel, as Jerusalem does. It's about the elevation of the city of Asheville, about 2,500 feet above sea level. And then you go 18 miles down towards Moab, towards the Jordan River, and you get to the lowest place on the face of the earth, the Dead Sea which the Jordan River empties into. So very stark contrast, but Bethlehem is in a great place up on that ridge. Uh, We know it as the future place where the Messiah will be born. We celebrate that at Christmas. I'll talk more about that later. So uh, they're in this situation. Uh, They need help. And so it's a book of God's providence. They're suffering. And it's a book of God working in the details of life, in the sufferings of life. Uh, She's lost her home and she's lost her husband and she's lost her two sons. And she has this daughter-in-law, Ruth, that is sticking close to her. And we see in chapter 3 is a shift for the good of God working in her life. And they arrive in Bethlehem and they meet this most interesting person, Boaz, who is there. Boaz is a distant family relative of theirs. Now, it's kind of a sticky situation. I don't know about you and, and probably most of us have not fallen into this situation, but how would you react if if folks showed up at your doorstep, knocking on the door, claiming to be your kinfolks, long lost cousins, uh, most of us like grab our wallet, you know, what's gonna happen next? What do they want? Uh, Who are they? I don't remember these people. Um, But they say, we're related to y'all and we need help. But not so with Boaz. As you read, as we read in chapter three, Boaz welcomes them, he noticed her. He's, he's the, the owner of this land. Uh, they're at the threshing floor. The Temple Mount was built in Jerusalem on a threshing floor. It's a perfect place where the wind comes in off of those cliffs and they can throw the, the wheat up and separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat falls down, the chaff blows away and it makes for a pure uh, grain of wheat. And so it's the harvest time. Everybody's gathered together, all hands on deck. If you've ever worked in a farm or worked on a ranch, you know there's certain times when it's all hands on deck, uh, when it's time to get the cattle in, get them branded, and start moving them off to, the, to where they go to be slaughtered. Or at harvest time, uh, everybody comes together. Nobody goes off to go to sleep. Everybody sleeps right there in that area. And that's the situation they were facing here when they come. And so Ruth shows up and she's wanting to help out. She's needing work and Boaz is looking after her. In verses 19 and 20 of, uh, 
of chapter two, he's looking after her, says, uh, says, and the mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, that man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living uh, or the dead. So see how in contrast, as we go through this, that it's so different from the book of Judges. Everyone is not doing what is right in their own mind. They're honoring the Lord, fulfilling the commandments, taking care of people. The narrative continues. In the previous two chapters, uh, they go from Bethlehem to Moab and then back to Bethlehem. Takes place, as I said, over 18 years. Chapter three takes place in a 24-hour period. It's about April time, as I'd mentioned. It's the barley harvest. And the picture comes more into focus in chapter three. So it's interesting. It, it, it's almost a bit racy at some points there. So uh, I've read chapter three. So Naomi wants to help Ruth. Uh, and there's security in those human relationships. We all appreciate that. We've missed that in COVID. Many of us have. But there's security in having those excellent human relationships. Boaz is recognized as a kinsman. So they're on that, that place and there's good grain being separated. Uh, the breeze comes along and they're all together there, all hands on deck. And, and today uh, there's no famine. Things are beginning to look brighter. And Naomi tells her to go to that threshing floor. And she says in verse three of chapter three, she says, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to that threshing floor but don't make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. So uh, to make her pretty herself up, go down to that threshing floor, and she does that. Now this whole story or, or thought of kinsmen is unique, uh, something that we don't really think about in our culture. It was a common practice in Israel that you had a kinsman who could redeem you, uh, a closest relative that would redeem you if you fell on hard times. They didn't have a national welfare system. This is the way they handled situations of poverty. You were redeemed, especially for women who had lost husbands, you were redeemed by a close relative. They called him the kinsman redeemer, a relative who redeems. We as Americans, uh, you know, when we think about this, we kind of have trouble with this whole concept. Uh, this is not part of our culture. Uh, we come out of, a, of the American tradition of autonomy. Uh, we have rights. Um, we're going to do what we think is right in our own minds sometimes. Um, uh, most of all of us who are married, we went through a dating process. Uh, and, and dating is really a phenomenon of the recent age, just the last 100 years or so. Uh, it's a, a ph phenomenon that most marriages uh, up until the last century or so were somewhat arranged. Uh, I even have a close physician friend of mine. He's, he grew up in India, and he's been working here for years, and his children grew up here. But he was an arranged marriage. He and his wife, they love each other. I'm not sure they did when they were married, but uh, he said, you know, we didn't hardly knew each other, but our parents put us together, and we could have stopped it, but uh, we only knew each other three weeks when we were getting married. We learned to love each other. 
and they do love each other. Um, but in this situation, God uses redemption here, a ransom, a tradition for the brother to take the wife of his brother if he dies or the nearest relative. Uh, the nearest relative has responsibility to care in this culture. And so in, uh, in Ruth 3, 7, he goes on, the, the narrative goes on, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came, Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Uh, Ezekiel uses some terms in the book of Ezekiel to describe God's protection. And one of those terms is the hem of the skirt or the hem of the toga that covers you. And so Boaz, he's startled in the middle of the night by this situation as he's sleeping. They're all sleeping there. And, and in verse 11, he compliments her as I read. He compliments her on her reputation and her virtue of Ruth, again, standing in contrast for the way life was lived in the book of Judges. Ruth is living a different way. Boaz is living a different way. He calls her some versions, my version says a, a worthy woman. Some versions refer to it in English as a woman of excellence. I like that term, a woman of excellence. And so uh, things are looking up, but there's a possible foil going on here in verse 12, the foil. Uh, he wants to redeem her. And he says, now that it's true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Very interesting. He's not the first in line to be able to redeem. I think he would like to redeem, but they've got to go through a process. So there's another relative. And so uh, he compliments her and that foil is an extra close, closer relative. And the outcome is by no means predictable at this stage in the game. So they proceed to carry forth the matters to see that things will be done in a proper manner. Again, a great contrast from the book of Judges where everybody did what was right in their own eye. Boab, Ruth want to do things properly and in order. And so Boaz, he could have moved forward. Uh, there's an obvious attraction here when you see the text. He could have moved forward and, and just said, we're just going to make this happen. We're not going to obey the rules. Uh, we'll just do this. Nobody will really know. Nobody will pay attention. Uh, uh, you know, but, but he didn't. He wanted to do what was right. He didn't want to just do things his way. He wanted to do things what was right. And the impact of that of living out a righteous and responsible life is a matter of a determination to do so. This is not something that he had probably just decided, okay, it's time to start honoring the Lord. Ruth and him had lived a life of honoring the Lord. And this comes out in the circumstance that they face themselves with. Um, and I ask the question, we face these kind of choices every day, don't we? Do we honor the Lord or we do what might be a shortcut, what might seem to be the easy way, what might seem to be the, the way of everybody else is doing it, or do we honor the Lord and do what's right? So God is not preachy here, but he portrays two individuals living responsibly. Again, a contrast from the darkness of the book of Judges. 
Something's going to happen. And the Bible promises in, in verse 18, he says, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Uh, you feel the suspense going on there? Something exciting is going to happen. And what will happen, people's futures are at stake. A lot of history is at stake, as you're going to find out in a few minutes. Remember when you were engaged, if you've been engaged, or when you look forward to a significant event in your life. Uh, I know uh, I, was, I was engaged 42 years ago, got married 41 years ago. Uh, Dick Olson, I think, was at my, my wedding uh, 41 years ago. And uh, I can remember still uh, looking forward to that day of being married. But, but in the back of my mind, I had a worry that, oh, what if something happened? What if I got sick or, or, or Jerry got killed or in a bad wreck or something? What, what if something, you know, the wheels would fall off before this great event could take place? And I, I believe this is the feeling here. Uh, something might happen, but it's not so. Uh, as they go to deal with this situation, follow along in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. The gate was City Hall. That's where the business of the community took place. That's where the men who ran things and organized, uh, made sure things were done right, went to do business. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, the one that was a closer relative. So Boaz said, turn aside, my friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat out. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. He wanted this to be a publicly recognized event so that there were witnesses that would know he's doing things right. He's not just flying off on his own to do things the way he thinks they ought to be done, but he's doing things uh, according to the way they understand it to be done. Sit down here. So they sat down and he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Notice he doesn't say anything about Ruth yet. He talks about the land value there. Verse four, he's setting him up. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for sure there is no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And he said to them, well, that's just property. Yeah, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz comes in with the, the other news. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Ah, that's a whole nother different argument. Bargain. He didn't bargain for that. In verse six, then the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So he decides not to redeem it. He says, I can't do that. And the custom was, I'm not going to read it, but they take off a shoe and they, they sort of exchange it to each other. That was kind of how they signed a contract. They didn't have a lot of pens and papers like we do. Uh, that's how they 
did the contract. And so Boaz becomes the kindred redeemer at the city gates and he explains it. And so he, he redeems them, passing the sandal. And this act stood out to them. In verses 11 through 15, he writes on in the book of Ruth, says, then all the people were at the gate and elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. These were women who were well-respected in Israel and who were honored in Israel, and they want Ruth to be that way. May you act worthily in Ephratha and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Naomi, who has lost two sons, she gains now a son-in-law better than seven sons. Um, and she writes that. She said in verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you the restorer of life and nourisher of old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. And so she's blessed by this uh, and, and honored by this and given praise for this. And so as we come to the conclusion of this message in this book of Ruth, Boaz is a beautiful illustration of a kindred redeemer. But God also includes this in the Bible because he looks forward to another kinsman redeemer who Boaz is just a great illustration of, but an imperfect illustration of, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who became mankind's kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ becomes you and me, our kinsman redeemer. If we placed our faith in him, those who trust him, he makes them right before God the Father who trust in him. We are redeemed and ransomed by Christ if we place our trust in Jesus Christ. We're captives and ransom is required as our price of release and Jesus pays that price for us. He does things for us just like Boaz did things for Ruth that we could not do on our own. The price was Christ himself. Boaz exhibits extraordinary responsibility. He redeems Naomi and Ruth and Christ redeems us. He does this for us. We're about to celebrate the Independence Day of our nation away from Great Britain, and we enjoy that day, and that was a great day in our country. Uh, we had to grow a lot from that, but even better is our own personal redemption by Jesus Christ, what which we celebrate every Sunday. We're here, that Christ has redeemed us. He's, we're no longer captive to the enslavement of sin, and this should lead us to gratitude in our worship. I know you believe that, that's why you're here. Not as the people did in Judges, who did what was right in their own mind, but, uh, and in their own eyes. But in all cases of redemption in scripture, and there are many, uh, there, there were decisive and costly interventions 
when it comes to redemption. Somebody paid a necessary price to free property from mortgages, to free animals from slaughter, to free persons from slavery. And this book of Ruth should move you, not just theologically, not just intellectually, but practically in your living. We should make every day of life a day of gratitude and a day of worship. And whatever we do daily, we should worship him in our jobs, on the tennis court. Try to do that. I don't always. I I fail sometimes uh, with my family. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach, the great composer, I love his music. Uh, On every music piece, he would sign at the very bottom, S-D-G, Sola Deo Gloria, Latin meaning for the glory of God alone. He wrote his music to the glory of God alone. That should be on the work we do, whether it's raising children, raising grandchildren, the work that God has called us to do. Should, we should feel like Bach wanting to put that at the bottom of it. The way we interact with our family, the way we do our work, the way we do sports, all reflect our gratitude and worship of God because we are redeemed if we're trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We remember Ruth and Boaz. Now, here's another interesting fact. This is the the afterwards, and it's listed in the very last few verses of the book. She had a son named Obed, and he had a son named Jesse. Jesse was the father of, uh, of David, king who would become King David. And even more important from that, David's line would be the line that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come through. The greatest king in Israel, David, the line from which the Messiah would come from this Moabitess woman. Nobody would have ever thought she would amount to anything or that her life could have such an impact on us sitting here in these pews this morning. Um, So Matthew mentions four women in the genealogy of Christ, and one of these is Ruth. And this book tells us that we can look beyond the daily grind, that God is working, that no one is insignificant. No one is insignificant. Uh, The grace of God, he used a non-Israelite for his honor and his glory. And it's a reminder too for us that God can turn extremely difficult situations around and turn blessing into them. God controls all. Not everything that happens to us is good, but he promises to use it for good. And that gives great hope when you're in a bad situation, and maybe we are today, you can take hope in Christ. Turn to Christ. He's the one that has redeemed us. We just have to receive it and accept it, place our faith in him that he has fulfilled that because he has. Um, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done for us, that you have done things for us we couldn't do on our own. We can't go to church enough. We can't be nice enough. We can't give enough. Uh, You have done this for us by redeeming us from the enslavement of our sin. And we ask you to continue to uphold us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. 
I pray that anyone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would place their faith in you today and experience the redemption and the freedom that you offer. You came and said that you wanted us to have life and that we might have it abundantly. And we are grateful for that. We worship and celebrate that today on this Sabbath day. And Lord, be with each one of us as we leave here today. Uh, thank you for your word, which does not stutter. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.